Christmas is a season of hope, right? Christmas is a season of hoping for presents, a season of hoping for great moments, a season of hoping for a savior. And the church has spent 1,600 years using this time to remind ourselves about the hope that we have at Advent, the hope that comes from the arrival of Christ into the world, the hope that we have from Emmanuel, from God with us. And we can talk all day about how Christmas, it has been twisted into a consumer holiday, right? How that presents and mall Santas and the Amazon Christmas catalog are just ways of taking like a high holy day and turning it into a hallmark moment. But that shouldn't be a surprise to us because the world needs hope. And Christmas is a time of hope. And people don't want to miss out on the hope of Christmas, whatever reason, whatever thoughts they have about it, the reason for its existence. They want the Christmas hope because hope brings joy. When you have something to hope for, it brings us joy in life. A life devoid of hope is a life devoid of joy. Trust me, I know I had to put up with Bill back in March when it looked like baseball season was going to get canceled, okay? It was really hard. It was a life, I've seen a life devoid of hope and it is, it is a life devoid of joy, let me tell you. But a life marked by hope, a life filled by hope is a life marked by joy. That's why kids are so joyful. They're filled with hope all the time. Jude and I, we love to go for walks in our neighborhood. There's a little playground in the back of our neighborhood. And so we'll walk to the back of our neighborhood to this playground. And there's a woman who lives back there who grows a garden in her front yard. And her, she grows strawberries and blackberries and sunflowers. And it, it, the garden itself is probably about as much space as like from right here to right here. There's not a lot of dirt space, but there's plants and there's stuff for Jude to pick. And she will let Jude pick anything he wants from her garden every time we go back there. And so over the summer, that was great. He could get strawberries and blackberries, but winter has come now. The berries don't really grow anymore. And yet every day, Jude and I will talk about going to the garden and finding a strawberry. And every time he starts to talk about it, his eyes get that little glow of a kid who is hopeful for something who's hopeful for something that day after day he finds joy in the hope that maybe, just maybe he'll find a ripe strawberry waiting for him at the end of his walk. Because hope brings joy in life. And throughout the Christmas series here at Beach Point, we've been thinking about the thrill of hope that comes at Advent. We've been looking through, I think Kathy and Bill have done an amazing job looking through and setting up the theme in the stories of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And the stories of Mary and Joseph and the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, if you want to open up there. And we're going to look at Mary, a special moment for Mary. In Luke 1, 41, Mary, we see Mary goes and she visits her cousin Elizabeth. And it says that Mary visits Elizabeth there and Elizabeth hears Mary greet her, call out to her. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps in recognition that Mary is pregnant with Jesus. And Elizabeth kind of tells her this. And really, this is Mary's moment of confirmation that she's pregnant. Right? We have in, in the conversation with the angel, she's told she will be with child. 
but it's in this moment that we get the first confirmation that Mary is actually pregnant with Jesus. And so you can imagine, this is basically, we get to see Mary's immediate response to taking a pregnancy test and seeing that she's pregnant. It's this moment right here. And this is what Mary says in response. She says, it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned home. I'll just say Ryan had the exact same response when she found out both times she was pregnant. It was identical, it was spitting image. But really, Mary's response is a remarkable response because in just 10 verses, Mary gets at the joy of Christmas. She gets at the hope of Christmas and she expresses it so clearly that joy is found in Advent's hope for the hopeless. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary rejoices in God because of the hope that she has. This hope that has been presented to someone who has no reason, had no, no reason to receive it in the first place. And she's so overwhelmed by joy, so overwhelmed by hope that she, she bursts into spontaneous song. But it's not fake, right? We've all had that experience where we see that sort of fake Christmas joy, that performative Christmas joy where someone's just trying to put on a face for the season and really it, it, it's not real and we can see through it. Mary has no reason to fake her joy. She is overwhelmed with this hope that she has and it pours out in this joyful moment. But Mary didn't exactly have a reason to be joyful before the angel appeared to her. Now, our situation today might seem dark to a lot of us, but Mary's situation was dark too. Mary grew up in a backwater of a backwater, right? We, when we think of Israel today and we think about Israel throughout history, we picture Israel, maybe I'm, I'm confessing and no one else feels this way, but usually I think we picture Israel as kind of this focal point of the world that all eyes on the world were fixed on Israel because we read the stories of the Old Testament, we read the stories of the Bible, we see them in the context of what God was doing for the whole world. But the reality was that Israel in the ancient world was not cared about by anybody. In fact, Rome is only in Israel. They're occupying Israel at the time of Jesus because they wanna have a better place to fight the Parthians further east. They don't even care about Israel. If they could have avoided Israel, they would have. And Mary's from Israel, but she's not just from any part of Israel. She grows up in Nazareth, which was a town we think of about 400 people. 
with very, very, very little upward mobility. She's also pregnant out of wedlock. You can imagine that. Teenage Mary is pregnant in a culture. She's betrothed, but she's not married. And now she's pregnant in a culture that allows for the death penalty to be carried out in cases of adultery and infidelity. You can imagine what that kind of stress would be like on her life. And as if Mary's life wasn't chaotic enough on its own, the world around Mary was chaotic too. Uh, We know that her family was likely not financially well off. One, because they're from Nazareth, which was an impoverished community further north in Israel. Uh, But two, she marries, she's betrothed to Joseph. Joseph's a carpenter from Bethlehem. And we know after the story, as the story goes right, that Mary and Joseph moved back from Bethlehem to Nazareth. Uh, Joseph is a, a lateral marriage for her. It's a marriage that is someone, it would make sense for someone in her status to marry. And a family that had money, a family that was well off would have been able to, or would have probably been likely to pay more, a higher dowry to find a different husband. And yet Mary marries Joseph. They come back to Nazareth. They live their lives here in this town. And Israel all around her at the time is in a bad place too. There's all these internal conflicts. They're under Roman occupation in a way that is really destructive for them. The Pharisees, there's these conflicts. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have this conflict that they believe that the the law is going to be their ticket to the restoration of Israel. The Zealots, on the other hand, believe that their strength and their ability will be their ticket. Uh, The Zealots actually became, the Romans, we have all these sources from the Romans about the Zealots because they called them the dagger men. Because what they would do is they would go around the marketplaces and see any of the people of Israel who spoke with the Romans, who helped the Romans, who worked with the Romans, and they would wait until they left and then they would kill them. And so for Mary, her experience of life in Israel was one of poverty up in the north, of turmoil, of conflict, of violence, of oppression, of rebellion and civil war. Mary's life wasn't marked by ease or by hope up until this point. But when she discovers that she's pregnant with Jesus, Mary rejoiced in the midst of the darkness. Nazareth hadn't changed Israel hadn't changed, her being pregnant out of wedlock hadn't changed, but she rejoiced. And I think we could use a little bit of Mary's joy in this moment. All right, now 7.5% of people in Orange County are unemployed. 164,000 people in Orange County have lost their jobs in the last nine months and can't find work today. 30% of the people who live in our area, not even just Orange County at large, Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, kind of south county, further south, 30% are behind on their mortgage or rental payments, facing potential eviction in the new year. Almost 1,700 people have died of COVID in our county already. 
And as of yesterday, I was talking to one of our nurses here at Beach Point, and we, she was saying, we have 10, 10 total ICU beds left in the county for a county of 3 million people. Our kids have missed out on all sorts of major milestones, like starting high school or, or getting to play on their, their, their all-star sports teams. They've missed out on doing all the normal things that kids get to do in a normal world. People are hurting, people are suffering, people are struggling. And in the midst of all of this, what we need is Mary's joy. We need the joy of Advent. But that doesn't mean we need to just have the joy of like slapping some tinsel on things and pretending like everything's okay. Right? We need the transformative joy that Mary has, the kind of joy that lets you rejoice in the midst of the darkness. And you can't get that from presence. You can't get that from the mall Santa. You can't get that from the Amazon catalog. As much as I, I think we all hoped that putting our Christmas tree up in the second week of November was going to do the trick, my guess is that it hasn't. Because transformative joy comes from a transformative hope. There's no substitute for the transformative hope that comes from Christmas, the transformative hope that comes from God taking on flesh to be with us. God making his dwelling among us. Because God doesn't tell us to ignore the darkness. Instead, he entered into the darkness with us. And Mary sees that in the midst of the struggles of her life, in the midst of the pains of her life, in the midst of the darkness of her life, Mary saw God enter into it all with her. Mary didn't rejoice because she had enough tinsel to cover up the problems or because the problems went away. Mary rejoiced because of her hope in the God who does great things, especially great things for forgotten people, in difficult situations. God was mindful of the humble state of his servant. While Mary was just a teenager in an impoverished town in the middle of nowhere with no real prospects for life to improve, God was mindful of her. While she was forgotten by almost everyone in the world, God did great things for her. And it filled her with a transformative hope that led to a transformative joy even, even in the midst of a difficult moment. There's a, um, a priest named Gustavo Gutierrez who worked in Lima, which is the, is the capital of Peru. And he started working there in the 60s. And, and his experience there shaped, shaped his thinking about hope. And he said this, he said, I come from a continent in which more than 60% of the population lives in a state of poverty and 82% of those find themselves in extreme poverty. But my parishioners in Lima have taught me volumes about hope in the midst of struggling. Hope is precisely for the difficult moments. Hope is precisely for the difficult moments. We often think about difficult moments as being hopeless moments, 
But it is precisely in those difficult moments that we need hope for. When our lives are easy, when things are going well, when our plan is working as we expected it to, hope kind of goes to the back burner. We don't need hope in our daily lives that, like that. We might talk about hope, but we might believe about hope, believe we have hope, but when it comes down to it, we're never relying on that hope. But when you are forgotten, when you're hurting, when you're in a difficult situation, you need hope. Especially the transformative hope that comes from knowing that God has entered into the darkness with us. And that context, it shouldn't surprise us even for a second then that Jesus spent his entire ministry with the hopeless. One of the books that has been um, most influential in transforming my thinking about this is a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. And, and I just want to get out in front of this and note that you might remember that name from last week. Bill used it in his sermon. And he told the story about how he got the name Brennan. And I just want to be clear. I told him I was using this passage before he made that decision, okay? So I want to nip that in the bud here in advance. So, but... I love this passage. I love what he says about this. And this is what he says in his book. He says, man, it says, Manning says this, Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with people described in the gospels as the poor, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the hungry, sinners, tax collectors, the persecuted, the downtrodden, the captives, those possessed by unclean spirits, all who labor and are heavy burdened, the rabble who know nothing of the law, the crowds, the little ones, the least, the last, and the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In short, Jesus hung out with ragamuffins. It was precisely the forgotten people without hope that God brought hope to in the incarnation. All the powerful people in Israel had hope in something else. He was either placed on the back burner, maybe it wasn't God, but they placed it in the back burner because things were going well, or they put it in something else altogether. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had a hope that if they just followed the law and they didn't violate it in any meaningful way, then things would be okay. The Zealots had the hope that in their strength and their ability to deal with their enemies, they, they could get rid of the people they wanted to get rid of. The Romans had their hope in their real strength, in their real empire, in the emperor himself. But Mary and the ragamuffins, the, the forgotten people of Israel, didn't have hope until this moment right here. And Mary understood that. She understood it clearly and she says so in her song. Look at verse 51 with me for a second. It says this, it says, he has performed mighty deeds with his, with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Jesus came to lift up the humble to fill up the hungry. Jesus came to help his servant Israel. 
He came for the ragamuffins, for the lost sheep, for the prodigals who squandered everything. And those people loved him. It was a ragamuffin woman who came and wept on the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. It was a ragamuffin man who was healed of his leprosy and threw himself at the feet of Jesus, praising him. It was a ragamuffin kid who who pushed past all the disciples to run up to Jesus and sit on his lap. The hopeless had found their hope in Jesus and Mary knew it from the very beginning, but just she'd been hopeless too. And for some of you here today, for some of us here today, we understand hopelessness in a way that we never really thought we would imagine. You understand the hopelessness of a marriage that is struggling under the weight, that is falling apart under the weight of the chaos of the world around you. You understand the hopelessness of seeing your kids struggle to figure out how to do life online with really no end in sight. You understand the hopelessness of saying goodbye to a parent or a loved one on a video call with a nurse holding up an iPad close enough so that you can hear, they can hear you. You understand the hopelessness of trying to find another line of credit to pay the bills this month. You understand the hopelessness of feeling completely isolated from everyone around you stuck in your house with only phone calls here or there. You understand the hopelessness of working in in a hospital, caring for those who are suffering while life goes on outside. You understand the hopelessness, but you don't have to be hopeless. Just like Mary, you have hope. The hope that God sees the humble state of his servant. The hope that he is the God who does great things for the forgotten people. The hope that of all the people God could have taken on flesh to be with, he chose the ragamuffins. And it's no surprise to me that Mary's song came to be one of the first hymns that the church would sing together, the early church would sing together. It was a community of largely impoverished, often persecuted people who had no reason for hope in the eyes of the world. And yet they rejoiced, they grabbed onto this song because it was a song of hope for them. It wasn't hope for the proud or hope for the rich or hope for the well-fed. It was hope for the ragamuffins. It was hope for the, for the broken, for the downtrodden. It was a hope for the hopeless. And it brought them joy. People who'd spend their whole lives without hope suddenly found themselves filled with hope because God had not forgotten them. In fact, God had chosen them. And that joy became infectious. 
And they sang just just like Mary did. They rejoiced just like Mary did because just like Mary, they had found hope in the midst of their hopelessness. In just a moment, we're gonna have an opportunity to rejoice, to celebrate, to raise an hallelujah, an opportunity to say, God be praised. Because the hope that Mary discovered wasn't just a hope for Mary, the mother of Christ. It was also a hope for you and for me. And we'll have the opportunity to hopefully be like Mary and say, our souls glorify the Lord. Our spirits rejoice in God, our Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call us blessed for the mighty one has done great things for us. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. While your marriage is hurt, God is mindful of the humble state of his servants. While your kids struggle, God is stretching out his mighty arm. While your parents and your loved ones take shallow breaths on FaceTime miles away from you, God extends mercies to you in a new way. While you search for the money to make it through next week, let alone next month, God is filling you up with good things. While you feel the crushing burden of loneliness, God is lifting up the humble in ways that only he can. While you see person after person after person getting sick and struggle, God is doing an incredible thing. He is helping his servant. And we embrace, we embrace the hope, that hope for the hopeless. We find ourselves like Mary saying, my soul glorifies the 